It's the bottom line. On News Radio 610, KONA, from the Tri Cities to Olympia to DC, we break down, break it all down the stories of the day and the people making the news. And that's the bottom line. Time to get the bottom line. Presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser. Welcome back to the Bottom Line News Radio 610 KONA. It is Wednesday afternoon. The sun is beginning to set here in Washington, D.C. It is dusk, and I am staring straight at the U.S. Capitol. It is a beautiful vision. To my left is the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, We are broadcasting from the rooftop of the Fox News building here in D.C. As they're not big fans of mask mandates at the Federation for American Immigration Reform either. So we are outdoors doing the program here in D.C. Greg is back in the studios in Tri-Cities. And we want to thank Perfection Tire, our good friends there, for helping us hit the road here to Washington, D.C. This has been a tremendous event thus far. Uh, A lot of radio stations from around the country are here up on this rooftop uh, broadcasting and talking about the situations at the southern border. Of course, as we talked with Sheriff uh, Kieran Donahue from Canyon County, Idaho, issues at the northern border as well. And that could be something, Greg, uh, and definitely glad you went down that road. That could be something that could become a larger issue. Yes, all the focus is on the southern border, but... Uh, that could become a larger issue as well down the road. Yeah, it's always made me think. It's like, yes, the southern border, of course, we see what's happening. There's uh, a news helicopter there, news helicopters there every single day. There's drones, there's cameras, there's reporters, there's people. Everybody's watching the southern border. Nobody is watching the northern border. It's interesting as a quick mental exercise. I once drove up to uh, the northern border uh, when I lived in Fargo, North Dakota. I drove up to the northern border. Um, with Canada, with, I guess it was Saskatchewan. And I got to tell you, it was interesting because it was so, so sparse. There really wasn't much there. I mean, it was wide open, nothing but cornfields, nothing but but farms, nothing but agriculture. And I thought it'd be very easy if somebody wanted to enter the country from Canada to do so and be undetected. It's fascinating. It really is. You know, Greg, it's funny. I mean, growing up, on the east coast both of us did the last time i was in washington dc was an eighth grade school trip i was 12 13 years old Mm. um and the one thing that struck me in doing a little bit of the you know for me it's the history tour um you know hitting i hit the lincoln memorial today um the world war ii memorial the vietnam veterans memorial the overwhelming majority of these memorials are just Massive. I mean, size was no obstacle. Uh, you know, grandiosity ruled the day. I mean, the Lincoln Memorial is just just immense. Mm. Um, the structures are incredibly imposing, and seeing just the amount of time, resources spent in constructing these monuments. Um, you know, the messaging behind it certainly strikes me as, uh, you know, sending messages not just about what the impression was at the time uh, of America and our greatness and our belief in our standing. Uh, the only one that isn't, the only one that you could argue is somewhat understated is, is the Vietnam Memorial. Mm-hmm. And 
my personal opinion, someone I'm sure has has a different opinion, but looking at it and looking at the the elegance of the way it was constructed, the manner in which it was destructed, the materials used, black granite mm. um, to to etch the names. I think that memorial was very much reflective of the opinions surrounding the Vietnam War, that there was a need to honor those men and you know that were drafted that went to Vietnam, uh, the men and women that were that lost their lives because there were women that were uh, involved in in the effort. It's it's fascinating to me looking at it, the time that it took, the painstaking craftsmanship to put all of those names in that memorial and knowing full well that the opinions about Vietnam to this day are still very strong, very conflicted. They, they did an amazing job to capture the essence of the, the and the significance and messaging of those lives that were lost in the Vietnam War, and still keeping in mind that this is not the type of memorial that we're going to build in a in a celebration. We're going to build it, keeping in mind how many people died and what the opinions surrounding it were. Um, it's incredibly impactful when you stand in front of it and you see it, and you see all those names. Um, there aren't names at the World War II Memorial, but there is a, a commemoration of, of Atlantic and Pacific, and, and it's each of them are fascinating in their own way. And if anyone has an opportunity at some point to do uh, a trip to D.C. and check those out, I, I highly suggest you do so, because put aside the, the partisan aspects, the swamp aspects, the amount of history here, it's just awesome. I mean, standing in front of the Capitol building last night, staring at the lights on the dome, it's awe-inspiring. It is absolutely awe-inspiring, Greg. It's true, um, yeah. I mean, wh- if you look at Honor Flight, that's exactly what they do. They take the uh, remaining World War II veterans, the greatest generation, wherever in the country. They fly them to D.C., they treat them like royalty, and they show them the monuments, and there's not a dry eye in the house. It's, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it truly is imposing, and it, and it reminds you how much history is here and how many good things have been done. In this city, how much positives come out of this city um, versus the negative? So let's take a quick time out, Greg. I know that we are expecting to hear from John Zarazny. Um, he will be speaking with us about the issues facing the country due to immigration. He'll be calling in with us shortly. So let's take a break. Right. And uh, we'll get Mr. Zarazny on the phone. As the bottom line, continues from both Washington's DC and the Tri-Cities here on News Radio 610 KONA Join the show call the legendscasino.com hotline 509-547-1610 back to the bottom line presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser on News Radio 610 KONA Bottom line, News Radio 610 at KONA, Wednesday afternoon. Rob Francis here in Washington, D.C. Greg, back in studios in Tri-Cities, Federation for American Immigration Reform. They hold their feet to the fire convention, 2021, here in Washington, D.C. And we are, we are extremely honored to be a guest uh, here at that convention. Uh, Jason Hogue with American Family Insurance. Make sure you swing by Jason's website, jasonhogue.com. Uh, 
If you are not happy with your current policies, whether it's homeowners, auto, life, small business, farm insurance, get a hold of Jason. Contact him today. Sit down. Have a conversation. Again, through his website, jasonhoke.com. You can reach out to him and let Jason let you know what American Family Insurance can do for you, how big the umbrella is to fit your policies under and things that you care about under. Uh, let American Family Insurance and Jason Hogue take care of you. So visit his website at jasonhogue.com. And, of course, one of the main reasons why we are here is our good friends at Perfection Tire. they got four locations in the Tri-Cities. Uh, Kim and company have been taking care of this community for a very long time. They're great people, great service, great customer service. If you haven't had the Perfection Tire experience yet, you owe it to yourself to do so, whether it's tires or any other service to your vehicle. Uh, stop by any of those four locations in the Tri-Cities, the original, off Columbia Center Boulevard, um, and stop by and see Perfection Tire. And we're, we're incredibly fortunate that they, uh, they have believed in this program for such a long time that they support us when we go on the road, and they believe in the program strongly enough that they back us when we want to take a trip like this. And so we very much appreciate Perfection Tire and all they do for our community and their support of the bottom line. Um, so, Greg, we know that it's been the, the border's been an issue for a long mm-hmm. time. Uh, but in recent times, particularly now, and I think this is the one thing, and you know, I'm sure we'll talk with Sheriff Page about this as well when he joins us in a little bit. But we we know that there has been a push in a number of areas around the country to uh, defund certain elements of law enforcement. You combine that with the issues that we've seen with spikes in crime, um, the amount of people that are coming in through the border. Um, I'll be interested in hearing from Sheriff Page, particularly in his area, and he is in North Carolina, what the impacts of those three things have had um, on his department. We know that they've had impacts in a number of areas in the country. We heard... um, Tom Holman, the former acting director of ICE earlier, mentioned Minnesota. And we know that one member of Congress, a member of the squad, Representative Ilhan Omar, uh, is from that district with a large uh, uh, population from Somalia. Yep. And what what the changes have been there and the turnaround there, and there are many that are calling uh, Minnesota the closest thing we have to a socialist city in the United States based on their, or in Minneapolis, I should say, based on the composition of their city council and a lot of their other elected re- leadership. And certainly Representative Omar leans in that direction as well. You know, it's interesting you mentioned Minneapolis. I was there about two to three months ago. Um, so I saw firsthand what some of the things that people are talking about there. And I can tell you that Minneapolis is indeed a city that's divided. It is on edge. There's a very, very, I guess, real movement to actually do away with the police as we know it, which a lot of people in Minnesota are not in favor of. But in Minneapolis itself, in that proper, uh, there is a very, very real threat to the Minneapolis Police Department which would indicate to me how would you handle law enforcement there? Would you even bother writing a speeding ticket there? Would you even bother handling car thefts? Any Because, quite frankly, so many things can go wrong. And it's interesting, visiting that city, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed going to some of the various sites in, that you can see in the city, but I didn't feel what you would call safe. I felt kind of relieved, actually, when I was getting out of there, just because. And it's a shame. Beautiful city. 
you know, Greg, it's it, I understand an element of getting other aspects of the community involved in certain things that arise. Okay, we I think in a lot of ways we ask a lot of our law enforcement officers. We we ask them to try and juggle their training as well as involve in situations that they don't have as much training for, specifically mental health situations. Um, I understand the need to have people with a mental health background involved in those situations, but not alone, not without a skilled law enforcement officer with them. You don't send somebody who doesn't know how to defend themselves or de-escalate a situation um, where there's violence you don't ask someone without that training to go in and do it because all you're doing is putting their life at danger. Right. You're putting their life at risk. So I do understand wanting people with a mental health background involved in situations that may have a mental health situation. Get it completely. But you don't remove law enforcement from the equation. You don't turn around and substitute that for law enforcement because the first time that social worker or mental health counselor or whoever it is dies... The first time there is a, a, a violent situation that they are sent to a hospital, um, then what do you do? Then where do you go from there? There is no place to point the finger except at yourself for allowing that situation to happen and putting that person's life in danger. Yeah. So the the attempts to eliminate law enforcement is just one more step in, in trying to create anarchy, wow. trying to insinuate that there is more control with a lack of control is ludicrous. And it doesn't have to be an overbearing situation. It doesn't have to be an incredibly strict situation. Lord knows we live in the greatest country in the world where nearly 250 years ago, our founding fathers put a document, put the pen to paper and created a document that is arguably the greatest guiding light for a nation ever written. They knew. They had foresight writing that document. We look at the freedoms that we have. And and I've said this before. There are a lot of people that look at the Constitution and think it is a document that gives you things. That it gives you certain things. If you really read the Constitution, it's a document that tells you what they can't take away from you. Of course. What can't be taken away from you? It's not the government that gives you these things. And, of course, the Constitution, the way it was written, the way our founding fathers believed in things, God granted us these unalienable rights. So it's not for the government to take these things away from you. It's not for them to take them away from you. These are things that you've been granted by a higher power than the government. And so it's just the government recognizing it. That's all. Absolutely. It is. It is. It is the recognition. Um, So as we continue down this line and we look at the things that we know have been bastardized in our founding documents and we know what's been bastardized as the years have gone by, um, it makes the fight even harder for those things not to occur. It makes it even harder um, for those that have been fighting to keep the the spirit the image the the vision of this country alive yeah. and keep it the greatest country and keep our individuality as Americans and yes that yeah. is important no keeping question. our strength 
No strength question. as an individual country is incredibly important. It's one of the things that makes us, you know, I can remember, oh, geez, 12 years ago, uh, 13 years ago, there was a guy that was elected that said that we weren't all that great. I took umbrage with that statement then. I take umbrage with that statement now. We are great. Yes. You know, you look at the United States, many people have made the comparison, the analogy to the Roman Empire. Uh, in in what we have done, how powerful the United States became, except we did it on steroids compared to the Roman Empire. Unfortunately, it also seems uh, in some ways that the decline that many would like to see this country have is also on steroids and going faster than the fall of the Roman Empire did. Um, and that's something that needs to be changed. It needs to be stopped. And there are only great people. There are many great people trying to prevent that. And there are many people, unfortunately, powerful forces that are working against that and trying to take us down a heck of a lot faster. Yeah. Um, no, my and that's concern, the scary part. My concern is it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If we keep on saying, no, no, America is not great anymore. No, 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 we were never great. No, 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 no. We were not this exceptional country. If you say it enough times and enough people start to listen to it, then again, it becomes what you call a self-fulfilling prophecy. And that's a very dangerous place for our country to be. Very dangerous. Hey, Greg, I know we've got a timeout scheduled here uh, in just a minute or two. Let's go to that early. Uh, Sheriff Page is standing by, and so we want to get him in, want to chat with him uh, so that we can dive into what's going on in the mid-Atlantic region of our country when it comes to immigration. So we're going to take our time out. We're going to come back. We're going to talk with Sheriff Samuel Page from North Carolina here on the bottom line, News Radio 610 K1A from Rockingham County, North Carolina. Looking forward to talking with Sheriff Page. Uh, and, of course, more conversations here from Washington, D.C. The bottom line, broadcasting live from both Washingtons today and tomorrow as part of the Federation for American immigration reforms hold their feet to the fire convention 2021 back with sheriff page here on the bottom line news radio 610 k1a after this More of The Bottom Line, presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser on News Radio 610 K-O-N-A. Welcome back to The Bottom Line, News Radio 610 K-O-N-A. We are live from the nation's capital, also from the Tri-Cities. we got both Washingtons covered today and tomorrow. Rob Francis here in D.C., Greg Neft back in the Tri-Cities. And joining us right now, he is the sheriff of Rockingham County, North Carolina. Been so since 1998. It is Sheriff Samuel Page. Sheriff Page, thank you very much for your time today. We appreciate you joining us. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. So I grew up on the East Coast, not a couple hours from here. I grew up outside of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it wasn't really something that was top of mind like it is living in southeastern Washington, where we have uh, agriculture as a real driving force for our economy. So we, you know, H-2A programs are big. We know that there are migrant workers that come in different times of the year, so on and so forth. Talk to us a little bit about the issues and situations that you face in North Carolina. Um, I imagine the challenges are a little bit different and nonetheless still daunting. Well, you know, I'll talk, I'll talk briefly on just what you touched on. Is North Carolina's agricultural state, and I came up as a kid working in tobacco. I've worked in textile. But um, 
you know, uh, we had the H-2A program also, and when we had a lot of tobacco being produced, we had a lot of persons who were seasonal workers that came up, and then they would move to other locations. I think there was a push also for seasonal workers in the restaurant business, other business down the east coast of North Carolina. But basically the problem we're seeing is we're seeing a situation where our, the heroin, and we're gonna, it's going to go back to the drug situation, is the heroin and the, and the fentanyl and the methamphetamine are on the tremendous rise. You know, three years ago, four years ago, we just didn't see heroin in my area. Uh, I'm not saying it wasn't there, but we didn't see it to the extent we see now. Now, uh, most of your overdose costs are going to either be tied to fentanyl or heroin. So when we, and when I, let me just say this, 28 persons, my understanding, died due to overdoses of fentanyl or heroin, uh, overdoses, deaths last year. And we probably had well over 400 uh, overdose calls where a lot of those calls we have to uh, administer Narcan. So we're saving a lot of lives. What I worry about is what happens, you know, we saw, saw a situation with it, what, EpiPens? What happens when you start, uh, the manufacturers, or they get some shortages or something in the distribution chain on, on fentanyl? I was in a fentanyl, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That when the, you know, fentanyl's been used and we have to use Narcan, uh, what happens when we get shortages there? That's what I worry about. You know, it's interesting, Sheriff, you bring that up because it seems that we, we, we hear this large call um, for services, for people that are addicted to opioids, but we don't hear calls to stop the problem at the source. We're not dealing with that issue. Yes, people that get addicted to this, they need help. They need help to get off of these 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 drugs, but no one's talking about stopping it at the source except for people in your profession. Right, right. Okay, we're going to talk source because we know it's a supply and demand issue here, Well, we know the, where the supply is coming from, the Mexican drug cartel. I've been looking at this pro, uh, this, this situation we've been having. I've seen the increases. And one thing, we, the, the first most important thing we can do uh, on the issue of drugs coming to our country is to secure our borders. That's the first thing. I mean, you know, we need to look at our policies also that are driving the, uh, the illegal immigration and also the human trafficking issues. But at the end of the day, the cartel, and we'll call them out right now, the Mexican drug cartel, making all the money. Uh, they're selling the drugs, $52 billion, I heard $52 billion a year business, tax-free, and and they're moving people. And when they move people, what, five to $8,000 a head? Uh, they're going to get their money. The thing is, and they're controlling the borders. So, you know, I asked the question, what can we do? And I was talking with some, uh, some, uh, some federal representatives, and I said, you know, what, you know, what can we do? Well, you remember back, I don't know if you remember back in the 80s, when the guys like Manuel Noriega and those guys, mm-hmm. we put a face, Chapo Guzman most recently, we put a face on these guys, and we put them on the wanted list, and we worked toward the RICO statues or whatever to apply to international. What we need to do is send a message to the cartel is, you know what, our federal prosecutors are going to aggressively come after you. They're going to come after you and have you extradited back to the United States, and we're going to try and put you in prison the rest of your lives. And your assets, we're going to work with the Mexican government to seize a lot of your assets and, and let it pay for a lot of this damage being done in America. The cartel in Mexico, they use a bullet. They use a lead to, to kill people. They shoot people. But in the United States, they kill them every day with fentanyl and heroin. So the thing is, is we got to secure borders. we got to target the cartel. Uh, this administration needs to uh, to look at policies that were working in the past on the Trump administration, and use those policies because they're working. If you feel if they feel like we need to do immigration reform and fix some of the bills, first we must secure our borders before we can even have those discussions. You got people up in Congress. You got a hundred senators, and you got four hundred thirty five representatives. I'd say this is a time when when the people in America that are representing the people of this country in Congress need to step up. And say how they feel, and and step out and help 
instead of instead of waiting down the road to, to another midterm election and stuff like this and the damage being done, let's fix it before we get that far down. Because how long will it take to correct the damage being done if we stay on this path we're on right now? It's a precipitous fall. And and that's where we are. And it's it's not even just, I mean, the drugs are, are a massive part of it. Another big piece of it, of course, too, is the trafficking. And and what do you see? What have you encountered in North Carolina as far as the trafficking issues with the border? Well, as far as the trafficking of drugs is, I'll, I'll tell you a situation. Five minutes north of the town where I live in Eden, E-D-E-N, North Carolina, a place called Axton, Virginia, just across the border, five minutes away. Uh, a little over a year ago, not much over a year ago, they arrested four Jalisco cartel members that have been operating in that area for about four years. This was according the information was put out in the news, and they had been trafficking drugs up through Virginia and on, I guess, up the East Coast, Northeast Coast. Uh, also, four days later, they arrested uh, 10 members of the Jalisco cartel that were down in Charlotte that were connected back to Los Angeles or, or to California area, excuse me, California. But the thing is, and this is open source information that's being put out, but they said they had connections to California. The thing about it is, is we have cartel in our communities. You know, if we fail to secure our borders, every sheriff in America will become a border sheriff. I've said that for almost 11 years. We've got to secure our borders. We've got to better protect America. We've got to support our Border Patrol agents, our ICE agents to the interior, Border Patrol agents to the... To, and we also must cover the infrastructure and, and, the, and the resources they need, technology they need. to do. You can't have a wall everywhere because there's some places where a wall is not conducive. But it's shown that border walls do work in the right places. So... I, I, you know, I supported the president when, when, when he was talking about the border world concept because I know it does work. Um, I lived in Berlin, Germany, East Germany, uh, for about six months. I saw a wall for six months, and I know one thing. Uh, they work. We're talking with Sheriff Sam Page. He is the sheriff in Rockingham County, North Carolina, here on the Bottom Line News Radio 610 K1A. Greg, you have a question for Sheriff Page? I do have a question, uh, Sheriff. Thank you very much for being here, by the way. Um, let You know, it's interesting. The, the term secure our borders first is something that's bandied about quite often. Uh, that's almost a buzzword now, and it's almost part of the, the common cultural lexicon, if you will. But what does that actually look like? What does a secure border, besides the wall, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, I think the first part starts with support of the federal agents are tasked with doing that. You know, for some reason, I'll tell you, I'll go back to a story. Uh, the former Secretary of Homeland Security, Napolitano, I attended a briefing under the Obama administration, and I asked a question. I said, we have the narco-terrorist uh, organizations, they're terrorist organizations, and they're, they're doing what they're doing between Mexico and into the United States. And I said, no, uh, What's the possibility of some type of military presence along our borders? And for some reason, there was resistance to any, any appearance of militarization of our borders. But uh, we have a lot of resources with the military that could could help us. Also, I know the National Guard has provided a lot of assistance to the different governors that have sent some help down. But there are a lot of resources out there. But as far as border security is, I, I would say operational border security, which means you have the resources in place to respond and cover working with the uh, the different types of sensor systems and other other technologies we have out there. But uh, working in conjunction with the uh, with the border barriers and stuff like this and the manpower, having the boots on the ground. And, and, and when you have situations like like we saw the other day, you've got the horse patrol members of the border patrol. They ride these horses because the areas they're trying to get into are not something you can drive a motorcycle into. On some, and they do have motorcycles. They do have ATVs and stuff like this. But some places are not conducive to that, and they have to use these homes. These are well-trained guys, and I, I, I was kind of sad when I, sad when I heard uh, how they were being treated in the conversation when 
you got to know the facts before you open your mouth. And, and I'm not being ugly to the president, but you know what? To the president, to the vice president, and to the secretary of Homeland Security, you need to know the facts before you say something. And what I've, to, what I've told you today is, factually, I've been to the border. I've talked to people with Border Patrol. I've talked to people with the Department of Public Safety and what they do. I've talked to the Border Patrol agents at the stations. I was down in um, McAllen, Texas, back in 2014 during the last border surge. We were down there working with FAIR on a project and visited some of the resources down there to see what they were dealing with. And, yes, they have their hands full. But if we never dedicate the resources to secure our borders, We'll have a problem. Now, I know we got a 3,900-mile border, 3, border uh, north uh, in Canada, 1,900 miles to the south with Mexico, and about 325 international ports of entry. We know a lot of drugs come through those areas. Absolutely. But they've got to have the ability and resource, manpower, and technologies to be able to check those trucks, check those things that come through our borders. And so it's a, bi- it's a big project. But in, in, in 2013, when they had a gang bait bill, what I understood from the information and analysis of that bill was it was more about talking about, but not a financial commitment, more about talking about certifying, you know, securing our borders, stuff like this. But it was more about let's let's move toward amnesty. And that always seems to the situation come up. But there are two different issues. Uh, amnesty is an issue. Uh, immigration reform in, in, a, in our immigration laws is an issue. And then securing the borders are issue. But the first priority that I see from my experience for 11 years talking to, uh, to the people that know what's going on down there is to secure our borders and use the resources we have and whatever addition we need to add to it. And I think this administration knows because President Biden was there before as vice president. And, and, and Mr. Mayorkas was there as, a, I think, assistant secretary. So, again, they know what the problem is. They need to address the problem. And I'm going to say one last thing. Our Congress, we, we've got 100 members in, in the Senate and 435 members in, as representatives. We need to encourage them to step up and be held accountable uh, for these actions going on right now because they have the ability to say something. As I'm a sheriff in North Carolina and I'm on the border with Virginia, I have the opportunity to say some things. But what gets me is when I have people who are dying in my county because of the products coming through the border and, and the cartel are not being held accountable. And we're not going after this person. If they were a criminal, uh, they're a criminal offender in our county doing things, we'd be going after them also. So I said, you know what? The federal government and what resources they have, they need to target those persons that are dealing drugs and taking lives in our in our country, and we need to go after them, bring them back from Mexico, and try them in our federal court system. Sheriff Page, let me ask you, because not too long ago we saw Secretary Mayorkas sending a message to Haitians that want to come to this country. And, and for a long time, Haiti, Cubans that wanted to come to this country were coming through the border closer to you, using Florida as an entry point. When he sent that message to them saying, no, you can't come in here, you can't come in here, you can't come into the United States, it seemed almost like he was sending the message, well, you can't come in here in the United States. Then we see 15,000 of them come up through the southern border from Mexico into into Texas. It is with the amount of nations we're seeing uh, represented, over maybe 90, lack of over a better term, yeah. exactly, represented coming through the southern border since January of this year, was that just a statement of saying, don't come in here, but but, but flood this area even harder mm-hmm. so that it, there's even less control there because we're concentrating our efforts on breaking this part of the country down. So please help us overwhelm the southern border. Uh, 
I think that one of the biggest problems was when the president came into office in January and they ch- and they did away with, with uh, different uh, policies that were working to help uh, reduce those numbers of persons coming in. You know, during the Trump administration, we had what, I think in Mexico, they put like 10,000 of, of their National Guardsmen on the southern border to, to reduce the chance of persons coming through at that point. Every country has a border. And every country, most countries that I see do try to protect those borders. But when it comes to uh, uh, mass migration, illegal immigration into the United States, it looks like there's a lot of countries are just saying, come on through, you know. And, and, you know, we don't hear what's really going on. What are the facts? And and who is is controlling that? And, you know, it sounds like we need to be having some communication with our Central American countries along that Central American chain all the way up to Mexico and having those conversations. Again, the first, the first mass, you know, the first mass migration I saw was in 1979 when I was in the Air Force and I came in from the Philippines. And the first base I went to was Homestead. And you know, the first mass migration was the Mario boat lift when, when uh, the, uh, the Cuban uh, president decided to release people from prisons and from and and we had our hands full. And back then, when I thought when I saw this in Del Rio about the bridges and everything, mm-hmm. I remember when people from the base being dispatched to private our security police canine handler, and some of our guys had to go down and guard persons that came in from Cuba illegally. There were criminals and some of the mental patients. So that was the first mass migration I saw uh, and understood. And it's just, it seems like things have just continued. We're talking with Sheriff Sam Page from Rockingham County, North Carolina. He's been the sheriff there since 1998. Sheriff Page, how closely tied are you seeing those that are trafficking drugs and trafficking humans? Uh, They're the same people. (laughs) Mexican drug cartel. And those, those persons, where they make money, listen, if, if they make money, if they lose some money in the desert, so be it. Somebody has already paid them. Uh, there's a lot. You've heard this before. There are a lot of, of women women that come through or, and young young girls that are sexually abused and stuff coming up through the uh, – coming up through the uh, Central American chain into Mexico, awaiting to come across the border and stuff like this. So there's a lot of issues going on, a lot of danger for these people. Who, who would – turn their child over to a to a coyote to bring your child up there and interface with cartel and their associates and stuff like this worst form of child abuse that i've ever seen i saw the a scene and i don't know what part of the border it was at but it was a child being handed over handed over and, and dropped young children being dropped over the fence and stuff like this you know when i when people start talking about the issues about illegal immigration and, and other activity uh, the, the thing about it is i, I it bo- does bother me but we've got a Homeland Security, under a situation, we've got a national security issue, we've got a public safety issue, we've got a humanitarian issue, and we've got a public safety issue. We've got those four key points, and that's what we need to focus on. But, uh, you know, I know what abuse is. I've been an investigator, and if some of these things that we're seeing they are being done there with these children, we'd be charging somebody in our jurisdiction with child abuse. And it seems the administration doesn't give a damn. It seems like there are a lot of people in the Washington area that have the ability to, to to do something, don't give an arm about about. Uh, and the th- sad thing is, not only is it about the American people, but also about some of these people, these young people that are coming up, these unaccompanied minors coming up. I mean, I mean, I know America is the greatest country in the world. I love it. I lived here all my life, and I know why people want to come here. But there's a thing called the rule of law, and when we don't f- follow the laws, and we when we don't have laws, we don't follow them. We have lawlessness, and we don't le- need lawlessness in our country. Sheriff Page, you mentioned a little bit earlier about the Canadian border. Just We touched on it a little bit earlier as well in the last hour with Sheriff Donahue from Idaho. Right. 
Is it a bigger problem than people think in the United States because of all the focus on the southern border and the border with Mexico? Is are the are the issues growing at the northern border, and is it a bigger problem than we currently think it is? The only thing that I know is when I talk to sheriffs during the you know like the winter conference, and I talk to some sheriffs in those areas. It's really interesting when you talk to a sheriff from like up in New York State, upper New York State, and they talk about the Canadian border and stuff like this. Sometimes it sounds like. If you didn't know where it was at, you swear they're on the southern border with Mexico. Smuggling uh, and other types of, of uh, criminal activity, I'm sure, come across the border areas, something like this. I think the probably is the public is not as well advised on the on the Canadian border. We may have better support from the authorities up there with Canada. But Canada and, and Mexico are our neighbors. And we have to work with our neighbors, but we can work together. And we can, together we can go after these illegal elements either to the south or to the north, uh, to help curb that activity. And also, it's our messaging and policies. And like you said, when when uh, when Secretary of Homeland Security of Mallorca started talking about and saying what he was saying about Don coming to the when I watch uh, the press secretary uh, give explanations of stuff that's coming down from the president, <clears throat> you wonder, what's really the truth? But and, who, I know, yeah, but, and, who's, but, and who's directing that statement? But, but I know one thing is when I when I come up here, fair host, uh, hold the feet to the fire, and I come up here once a year, and it gives me an opportunity where I might not be able to talk on regular talk TV uh, shows and stuff like this, uh, new shows, and be interviewed because sometimes what you say, what you wanted to get out, didn't get out to the public. But with talk radio, we have the ability to say what we're seeing in our communities, which I'm saying. I'm seeing people dying because of the drugs, or illegal drugs are coming to our communities. Oh, we're seeing the criminal element, the cartel that are, that are in our communities and other criminal element. We're seeing a lot of persons that are here illegally uh, that have come in the improper way. If, if we secure our borders, we need to encourage persons. If you want to come to America, do it the right way. If you talk to someone, and I've talked to some people that came from other countries that are here today at this event. And I and I and I kind of ask them and say, well, you know, how do you feel about this? I mean, well, if a person did it the right way, came here the right way, uh, they support it 100. percent But something starting off with the word illegal is always going to be a bad thing. And as a lawman of nearly 40 years in the state of North Carolina, and with the military experience, you know, uh, illegal is always going to be a bad thing for me. Greg, you have a final question for Sheriff Page? Yes, I do. And before I ask that, I just want to put, get this in there. I love Carolina Q. It's my favorite kind of sauce. I'm just putting that out there for you, Sheriff. Just just wanted to say that. Um, Thank you, sir. <laughs> you're, you're very welcome. It's the best in the country. Um, wanted to ask you, uh, you know, you talk about unaccompanied minors. You talk about people that are already here. They're embedded in the communities. Is there a realistic path out to get them out? Is there a realistic path to get them back out to their countries of origin? Because uh, I do not enforce immigration law because of my authorities, uh, the, the only time that we interface is when we deal with someone that's involved in criminal activity, and once they come to our jail, it's determined that they're illegal in the country. Then we, well, then we notify ICE, and they begin their interviews, and that process begins. What I worry about as far as removing the criminal element from our country, which is what I would deal with uh, under those circumstances, is... When is uh, Homeland Security have they're going to start backing off? What I'm concerned about, they're going to start backing off a reduced amount of illegal, de- oh, excuse me, of the uh, of the federal detainers, which gives us authority that when a person finishes their obligation in our state, to release them back to the ICE agents to transition that person for deportation. Because I believe that if you commit a criminal offense in this country and you're illegal in this country, you need to go, you need to be deported. And 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 I also believe that we should honor the federal detainers, and a lot of sheriffs in North Carolina do. 
But what I also worry about is, is cases where they don't is how many of those persons get back out in the community and re-victimize citizens or people in their own uh, community that, they, that they're immersed in. Sheriff Sam Page from Rockingham County, North Carolina. Thank you very much for your time, sir. Appreciate you joining the program, and thank you for your service. Rob, thank you, and we appreciate you guys, and y'all try to have a blessed day. Thank and you. you as well, sir. Thank We're going to take our final time out here. Bottom Line News Radio 610 KO8 is Wednesday afternoon, broadcasting live from Washington, D.C., the Federation. For American Immigration Reforms, hold your hold their feet to the fire convention 2021. Back to wrap up today's show in just a few minutes. We've got another full day in front of us tomorrow as well. A number of guests will join us here as we broadcast from the rooftop of the Fox News building, staring directly at our nation's capital. It is an absolutely gorgeous sight with the sun down here in Washington, D.C. Amazing thing to take in. Blessed to be here. We are back to wrap things up here in just a few minutes. that cares what you think. Call in now, 509-547-1610. Presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser. Not a lot of time left to the bottom line. News Radio 610 KONA. Federation for American Immigration Reforms hold their feet to the fire convention 2021. Rob Francis here in Washington, D.C. Greg back in Tri-Cities. We did get a message through the free mobile app that Google Play and the Apple stores. Rob sounds three hours older. Well, I actually am at this point in time, three hours older. Uh, and, yeah, I agree the Founding Fathers were inspired by higher power to write our Constitution and other documents, and it's too bad the leaders nowadays don't follow this inspiration if they are worthy of it. Thanks very much for the message. Appreciate it. Um, you know, Greg, it's 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 been a great day one here. Yeah, absolutely. Looking, looking forward to tomorrow. Um, and the broadcast as well. We'll have the president of the Federation for American Immigration Reform, Dan, uh, Reform, Dan Stein, will join us tomorrow. Uh, we also will hear from Congressman Dan Newhouse. He will join us as well as he is here in D.C., uh, and he is going to spend some time with us tomorrow as well. And we will talk about certainly a lot of those legislative elements uh, regarding immigration. We know that um, as the chair of the Western Caucus, Immigration is a huge piece of the equation there. Um, we also know that Representative Newhouse has been targeting H-2A reform for, for some time now. We also know, Greg, that um, there is some battling going on right now in trying to get the infrastructure bill passed in D.C. and that Speaker Pelosi was spending some time over at the White House today. We know that Senator Kristen Cinema from Arizona has been to the White House four times in the last two days as they are trying to hit a deadline to get this infrastructure bill passed. So we are hoping that we will have Congressman Newhouse, but depending on what happens in that situation, if he is needed on the floor to vote, then we may not. But uh, we are watching that intently as well as the deadline is looming for President Biden's infrastructure bill 3.5 trillion some are saying a negotiation could happen there could be a compromise to bring it down into the two trillions but the very progressive end of the democrat party wants all that social spending the moderates do not we'll watch it go greg's going to take you through the tri-cities afternoon news coming up next i will talk to you tomorrow live from dc along with greg from home base in washington state this is the bottom line